Jesus loved to tell stories. It was his favorite way to teach about what his kingdom looks like, what it looks like when he reigns, when he's in charge. And he knows that we're also people who like to tell stories. We tell stories about ourselves. We tell stories about others. It's how we make sense of the world. And when I heard this story, it reminded me of a story from when I was in middle school. You see, my dad got to have one of the most important days in the life of a dad. He took me out into the yard with my older brother and taught us how to mow the lawn so that he could then sit in a lawn chair and watch us. And for the next few weeks, we joined together in this endeavor, me and my brother. We mowed the lawn together. But as we went along, my brother started to disappear. He would be inside complaining about his allergies. And by the end of the summer, I was the only one mowing the lawn the only one doing the work. And for a few years, that's the way it was, until one summer I'm out there mowing the lawn, and up, up comes my brother and asks to borrow some of the equipment, and he hops in the truck of one of his friends, and they drive off. And I find out my brother has started a lawn mowing business. <laughs> and when I go to my parents to complain, they just say, hey, he's making money. We're happy. Scandalous. It was a scandalous story. It's a story I break out whenever I need to put my brother in his place or complain to my family that I'm the middle child and, and I never, ever have anything fair. When we read Jesus' parables, it's, it's natural for us to take those stories and connect them to our stories. But I want to teach you another way to read his parables. And in fact, it's the way that we've been working through Scripture in Sunday morning Bible class. So those of you who have been coming to that, you know about our engagement questions, our questions we use to engage with God's Word. So we're going to go through those today. And the first question is this, what does this parable tell us about us, about mankind, about human beings? It's the first question you should ask. Where are you in the story? Well, the first thing this parable tells us about us is that we are obsessed with fairness, with things being fair. When things aren't fair for us, we cry scandal. When they're not fair for other people and we benefit, we turn a blind eye. That is human beings in this parable. And I started to think maybe this is the type of person I am. I actually know it's the type of person I am. But I started to think maybe I've been telling myself a story about what happened with my brother. Right? So I call him up this week, and I'm like, hey, can I get your permission, number one, to tell you the story that I remind you of every year about how you got out of doing the work in our yard and left me with everything until you conveniently weren't uh, allergic to anything anymore and started a business. And he's like, yeah, you can tell that story. I go, well, I want to make sure I got the details right so I'm not, like, twisting them around to make you the bad guy. He goes, oh, no, you got the details right. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great, okay. And then he took a beat and chuckled a little bit. And he goes, you're only angry. The only reason you bring up this story all the time is because you didn't think of doing it first. <laughs> and he's totally right. The cons that I pulled on everyone in my family growing up, if you compare them 
I've got my brother B. This is how we are as human beings. We want what's fair for us and not necessarily what's fair for others. We don't like God's version of fairness. The second thing we can learn from this story about human beings is that we are resentful people. We resent when generosity to others happens. We resent generosity to others when we think they don't deserve it. Just think about our political landscape right now. Whether you find yourself on the really far right or the really far left or hopefully somewhere closer to the middle, this is our discourse in politics. It's all about someone else getting something that you're not getting. Whether it's a rich man getting a tax break that you don't get or a poor person getting a handout that you don't get, we get upset in politics because someone is getting something that we're not getting. That's the root of all the issues in politics. The other thing we can learn about ourselves in this parable, because we are the workers in the vineyard, we can learn that we are jealous people, and not the good kind of jealousy that God has for us. We are jealous for things. We have a way of being content until we see what other people have. Our contentment turns into jealousy when we see what other people have. My family, we like to use a specific uh, hotel chain, and, and we like to gather our um, loyalty points in that hotel. And the reason is because when we show up at that hotel, because we've been with them for so long, they treat us like royalty. And sometimes we get a room upgrade. We go from a small room with two queen beds to a small room with two queen beds and a pull-out couch. And we feel special. And on a really rare occasion, we'll get upgraded to a small room with two queen beds, a pull-out couch, and an attached kitchenette with a microwave and mini-fridge. Ooh. When that happens, we feel like king of the castle, king of the castle. We're just so fancy. And then we get home to our house, which is probably four times the size, with four bedrooms, a big kitchen, a backyard, plenty of televisions, etc. And somehow we're not happy because there's bigger houses out there. Knowing full well that we can feel like royalty in a much smaller situation. This is how we act as human beings. At the drop of a hat. The fourth thing we can learn about ourselves in this story is that we have been given a job to do. We have work in the vineyard, but we resent our work. We resent it. We should be full of grace and joy. We should be thankful that we got to work a full 12 hours, and we should feel sorry for the people who only got to participate in the work of the vineyard for an hour. That's how we should feel. But instead, we're resentful that they only had to work for an hour and get the same reward. And the irony is the work in the vineyard is actually to tell people about the awesome reward we're getting that we didn't earn and to bring them into the field with us. That is the work. But we resent the work. The second question we should ask ourselves when reading Scripture and reading a parable is this. 
What does this parable tell us about God and how he works? Well, the first thing it tells us that is that God works through people. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to work through us. He chooses to work through jealous, resentful, lazy people. And he does beautiful things through us. We have a job to do because he brought us into the field. The second thing we can learn about God in this parable is God never never stops gathering his people until the very last hour he is calling workers for the vineyard. And until your very last hour, he is calling you for that work. Amen? And some of those other parables he talks about, the lost sheep, the lost coin, they tie into this. We see it playing out even in this kingdom parable. He never stops gathering his people. The most important thing we can learn about God in this parable is that God is scandalous with his grace. He gives out grace in a way that you and I never would. And we see this in some other parables. Remember the parable of the prodigal son, the one who's free-spending prodigal, gives out all his money and then has nothing? Well, remember the prodigal father in there who throws a huge banquet and brings his son back into the fold and is free-wheeling with his gifts? That is how our God is. When I was growing up, there was a show called The Simpsons. It's still around today. But when I was growing up, you would not let your children watch it if you were in a Lutheran or Christian home. So naturally, I found every opportunity I could to watch it. And one day, I was watching an episode, and Bart Simpson and his family went to church. They actually went to church a lot. It's kind of interesting. And in church, Bart was in Sunday school, and the teacher told him about the good news of Jesus Christ and how your sins will be forgiven, more or less. And Bart thinks, whoa, so you're saying I can live my entire life and make all kinds of bad decisions, and at the last moment, I can just say, Lord, forgive me, and I'm forgiven? And the teacher starts to get a look on her face and backtrack a little bit and say, yeah, but Bart Simpson is right. God's grace is scandalous. The reward you will receive, you faithful Christians who come every Sunday, in the end, it's the exact same reward the thief on the cross received next to Jesus. Eternal, limitless forgiveness and grace and life. It's scandalous because you have no skin in the game. Nothing you do will get you a greater reward or a lesser reward than the infinite life you're going to get through Christ and what he has done for you. And that brings us to the most important question you will and should ask when reading any parable or any scripture, and that's this. How does this reading, how does this parable point to Christ? This seems like a hard one to answer, but Jesus is the one telling the parable, so he's probably got a reason And it's interesting that immediately after this parable, Matthew tells us what Jesus kind of did next. We're not sure if it was the next day or the next hour, but the next thing recorded is this. When Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he took the 12 apostles aside and said to them privately, we're going to Jerusalem. And they probably thought, 
no duh, it's Passover, that's what you do. And then he hit them with this. There the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the experts in Moses' teachings. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to foreigners. They will make fun of him, torture him, and crucify him. But on the third day, spoiler alert, he will be brought back to life. And I'm hoping that when the disciples heard this, they thought back to the parable he had just told them and how Jesus wrapped up the parable, which is this. In this way, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the gospel. This is the good news for you and me. This is scandalous grace. You and I are the last. We're the sinners. We're the least among us. And Christ, the perfect man, the perfect God, the first among us, gives us his wages. Now, the wages we earn through our sin, our wages is death. But the first among us becomes the last on the cross and makes us the first. Christ, the perfect man, the perfect God, takes your payment and gives you his, gives you grace upon grace, gives you eternal life, and in this way, the least, you and me, become the first. And the first, Christ, becomes the last. This is truly scandalous. Nothing you do, none of your work will gain you a greater or lesser gift in heaven. Now, the disciples all throughout Matthew are pretty obsessed with who's the greatest among them. Right before Jesus told this parable, they're asking, who's the greatest among us? And Jesus says, the children, the least among you are the greatest. It's kind of a theme that he's building on. And the disciples totally get it. There's two disciples in particular who think that they're the best among the disciples. They think it so much that they rope their mother into it and get their mother to ask Jesus, right after this statement about going and dying and being tortured, they get their mom to ask Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, will you sit us next to you on your right and your left? And Jesus turns to them and says, you want to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? That cup being the cup of wrath, the wages that you and I have actually earned? You want to drink that cup? And the disciples say to him, yeah, yeah, we can drink that. We can handle it. And he says to them, you're not going to drink the cup. You're going to drink my cup. And it's the same cup that he institutes at the Lord's Supper that you and I get to drink of his blood, his forgiveness, his wages, we get to drink. And it's an infinite cup of grace and love and mercy for you and for me. And in this way, the first will be last and the last will be first. Now, because of this, we get to ask a bonus question. There's a fourth question I like to throw out there, but it's not the most important one. It's an extra one, extra credit question. It doesn't get you anything extra, but it's a beautiful question to ask, and it's this. What do I do? What do I do in response to this parable? 
What am I free to do now? Last Sunday, I had a little bit of a rough Sunday. I was telling myself the story that everyone was out to get me. Nothing was going right. And then, on the way to what I thought was going to be a fun event, the movie we were going to watch with all the volunteers, I was so excited about that. On the way there, I get a phone call from my wife that my daughter has broken her leg at softball practice. And immediately, I feel fear for her, compassion for her, and I drive all the way to, bas- or to the softball practice. I'm envisioning in my head that she jumped for a fly ball and tripped and fell on that poor girl. I get there and find out she never made it on the field. She made a silly second-grade girl mistake, proving she is my daughter. She left her helmet on the ground instead of putting it away like her mother had just told her, and she tripped over her own helmet and broke her leg. And all the compassion I had for her went out the window. Because look at what you have done, little lady. Look at what you've done to put yourself in this situation and how it's going to affect our whole family financially. It's going to mess up spring break. Look at what you've done. You're in this pain, and it's a natural consequence. And for a week, it was hard to show her grace and care for her like I should because I had it in my head. She had done something to get herself into that situation. And that's how you and I walk around this world. We see people hurting and broken and in pain, and our immediate immediate thought is, they did something to get there. They probably should ride this out or pull themselves up by their bootstraps or whatever it is. But then I started to experience the kingdom of God. Here at St. Mark, people started to rally around me and show me kindness and forgiveness in spite of my attitude that week. And when I brought Maggie on Friday to say hi to her friends, this is what she was greeted with. The least among her class became the greatest and the first. This isn't an advertisement for St. Mark Lutheran School, but it totally is. This is the beautiful reality of the kingdom of heaven. This is what you and I get to share in in our work in the vineyard. This is what we're called to do, to rally around the least among us and share the gospel and good gifts and love and mercy with them in a limitless fashion. To be scandalous with the gospel is what we're called to do. And this is what it looks like. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God.